Well, good morning once again, and welcome back to our final week in our sermon series called Complete in Christ, as we're studying the book of Colossians. And since this is the last week of this series, I wanted to give a little review of the last couple of weeks. If you've been here, it should serve as a good review, and if you haven't been here, it should serve as a good overview for the book of Colossians as a whole. So in the first week, I asked you guys, do you believe in change? Do you believe that it's possible for the people in the life around you uh, to change? And we started off talking about the person far over there, uh, the Apostle Paul, talked about how he was a religious terrorist, but now he is a missionary that was in jail because of Jesus' name, preaching the gospel message. And then in the middle, there is the founding pastor of the church of the Colossians named Epaphras. And I asked you, have you ever met anyone before named Muhammad? If you met someone before named Muhammad, it's probably pretty safe to say that they weren't born a Christian. And the same was true with Epaphras. He's named after a Greek goddess named Aphrodite, so it's safe to assume that he was uh, born into the false Greek religion, but then someone came and taught him the gospel message, and now his heart was changed, and he believed in Jesus Christ. And then finally, the audience of this letter is the the Church of Colossae, and I describe them as having kind of like a frat boy party lifestyle with full of sexual immorality, lust, and greed, uh, but their hearts were changed as well. So if God could change these people's hearts, do you think God could change your heart or the other people in your life's heart or your unbelieving co-worker's heart? Absolutely. And then in the second week, uh, we looked through a song about uh, Jesus talking about how he is more supreme than everything else in this whole world and how Jesus is over everything. He is over all of creation and he's also a different type of king. He's the king over the church and he's the head of the body of Christ. Then in week three, we talked about the antidote to deception. Uh, One of the big reasons why this book is in the Bible, uh, the letter written to the Colossians, is because there is this false teaching out there at the same time uh, talking about um, how do you live as a Christian life in Colossae. Some people thought that they still had to follow their past Greek religion, and they just kind of thought that Jesus was just another god. He just, you worship Zeus, you worship Jesus. And then there are other people out there that were influenced by Jewish people, and they thought, hey, maybe we need to still uh, listen to the Jewish dietary restrictions and some of their other customs. But, Paul, but the Apostle Paul writes to them saying, you can't compromise, you can't fall into these uh, false beliefs. And the way how you know that something is false is by spending so much time looking at what's true. And the same is true for us today as well. If we want to stay away from false teachings, we need to spend lots of time in the truth of God's word. And then last week, Pastor Clad had a sermon about the heavenly mindset. And he gave a good example about, hey, do any of you out there still carry around a picture of your ex-girlfriend in your wallet if you're married? He's like, no way, you would never do that. In the same way, we have a sinful earthly self and a heavenly mindset and, and the Apostle Paul encourages us, hey, you can't go back to your earthly mindset. You can't go back to the sinful way you used to live. Instead, have that heavenly mindset knowing that Jesus is reigning over all things. And that leads us to today, week number five, talking about being completely united in the church. Have you ever noticed that if I asked you what's the best part and what's the worst part of your job, it's probably the same thing. If I asked you what's the worst part of your job, if you were brutally honest, you probably wouldn't say a task. Instead, you would say a name of a person. Either your annoying coworker or that stern boss that you have. So if you had to be honest and say what's the worst part of your job, it's probably people. 
But if I ask you what's the best part of your job, I know some of you out here have great jobs where because you have great coworkers that have become like family. And you could go work somewhere else and maybe even make more money somewhere else, but you stay at your job so long because you love the people that you work with. So what's the best part of your job? Well, it's the people. But what's the worst part of your job? Well, it's the people. What about uh, the teachers in this room? What's the best part of teaching? Oh, the kids. They teach you so much more than I could ever teach them. But what's the worst part about teaching? The kids, for sure, right? Uh, What's the best part about coaching? I bet someone would say teaching the children. What's the worst part about coaching? Maybe dealing with the parents? Um, And I've been a pastor for about six months now. And if you ask me what's the best part about being a pastor... Well, it's the people. It's great to see you guys use your talents and serve the Lord. It's great to have so many people shower love on me these last six months. And this might not be the most sanctified thing to say, but you know what's the worst part about being a pastor? Well, it's the people. Because when you guys aren't getting along, when there's drama in the church, when there's a tough conversation that needs to be had, dealing with people can be one of the hardest things to do. Working with people can be a great blessing but it can also be a pain in the neck. And I'm sure you've experienced that in your life before. Because when you're at work and things are united, you are proud to say you are part of that team. But when there's disunity, that's the thing that makes you anxious and cry on your way home from work. When there's unity, great things can happen and you can achieve wonderful things. But when there's disunity, things fall apart. So wouldn't you like there to be unity? Wouldn't you want your family to be completely united and to know that every person in your family has your back? Wouldn't you like to work somewhere where the team is united and focused on one common goal? And wouldn't you like to come to a church where everyone is united under the same message? That's the thing that so many people are talking about lately. So many leadership people out there. There are so many leadership books written out there. I don't know how many podcasts I've listened on leadership And all the big names right now, whether it's a CEO, a pastor, coach, teacher, whatever it is, they're all asking the same question. What's the secret sauce for unity? They might not phrase it like that, but that's the question everyone's asking. What's the way how you have an organization become united? And that's what we're going to talk about today, but we're not going to go to a leadership guru or some other book. Instead, we're going to go to God's word and see what the Colossian letter has to say about this. Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I think we can all agree that all those characteristics are good things. Gentleness, humility, compassion. I think we can all agree saying, yes, we should be that way. We should be humble and gentle and compassionate to one another. But I think you also know it's easier said than done for things like humility. Uh, recently, I was watching a YouTube video about the most selfish sports play in sports history. And one of the ones I saw featured the NBA All-Star named Kobe Bryant. And there's a story about Kobe Bryant where it was the end of the first quarter and the Lakers wanted to take a quick last-second shot. So you know what they did? They passed the ball to Kobe Bryant. And you know who else knew that? All five players on the Sacramento Kings. So it's a blurry picture here, but you can see here, here's Kobe Bryant taking a shot guarded by five other players. And you know what happened? He missed. 
Even an all-star like Kobe Bryant can't make a nearly impossible shot covered by five other guys. He could have maybe you relied on his teammates, could have passed to one of the four open teammates he had, but he was Kobe Bryant, so he was going to take the last second shot, and he missed. So what's the biggest problem that we face? What's the biggest enemy to unity in every organization, including this church? Well, it's our ego. And I've only been a pastor for a few months now, but I've already been given a nickname. Maybe you've heard it. People call me the Kobe Bryant of preaching. So everyone else better stay away from my pulpit. Can you imagine if I said that? That would be such ego. That would be so much pride. But it comes up in different ways throughout the church. You have musicians saying, you know what, I'm the best musician here, so everyone else better stay away from my organ or my keyboard. You have people saying, hey, I'm the best at directing choir, so everyone else better stay away from my choir. This is my school. This is my child care. Everyone else better stay away from my school, my child care. I have the best business ideas to the leadership team. You know what, they better listen to me. What happens when we have ideas like that? When people start having that me-first attitude saying that this is my ministry, this is my church, this is my organization. What happens when people act that way? Nothing good. Nothing good happens when you have people saying me-first when it comes to the church. And uh, while I was at the seminary, uh, they told me, before I even get out into the ministry, that the biggest problems there are out there in churches has to do between problems with one pastor and another pastor, or a pastor and a principal. Isn't that crazy? So I talked about this with Principal Rush and Pastor Clad About a month ago at one of our meetings, we were kind of talking about this. And we all kind of said that if all of us decided to focus on our own personal agenda and have competition between one another... Nothing good is going to happen. Nothing good happens when you have that me-first attitude, but instead, we need to focus on what's best for God's kingdom. What's bigger than Pastor Tom Grzalski? What's bigger than Holy Trinity? What's best for God's kingdom? When we're united on that front, great things can happen, but when pastors or principals or teachers have this me-first attitude on a leadership level, things don't go well. And the same is true at a membership level as well. When you have people saying, this is my church, or they better listen to my musical preferences, or my ideas, uh, things don't run well. Things don't go smoothly when people have this me-first attitude. So, bear with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love the way how this passage starts. Bear with each other. I saw a different translation put it, put up with one another. If you've been coming to Holy Trinity for a while, I have a feeling that there's somebody in this room that you don't like very much. I've heard some stories. I've heard stories about how people have hurt one another and how you don't like talking to that person or those group of people don't like talking with these group of people. Things happen when your sinful human people gather together. So what do we do in that situation when you're with somebody who your personality and their personality don't mesh, when you just, you just bump heads with one another? What do you do in that situation? Well, you put up with it. You bear with one another. And how do we do this then? The passage goes on to say, you forgive one another uh, as the Lord forgives you. So how does the Lord forgive you? Well, he forgives you completely. 
He doesn't hold grudges. He takes away all of your sins. He doesn't bring it up time and time again. He doesn't operate on a three-strikes-you're-out system. He doesn't say, once you've sinned against me, I'm never talking to you again. And that's how we're supposed to forgive one another. And knowing that each person in this room is deeply sinful and is equally forgiven in God's name, that will lead us to forgive the petty things that other people have done against you. So if you're one of these people in this room that you just have somebody you don't like, and you could easily tell me that story about that one time they blew up at you, that one time they said something nasty to you, that one time they didn't, they let you down. You know what today is? Today's the day to forgive them. Jesus has forgiven us so much, and now we need to forgive as the Lord has forgiven uh, you. And that leads to perfect unity. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. So Paul now brings up this picture of the body of Christ. Maybe you've heard of that picture before, about how Jesus is the head of the body. He's the one that's in control of all things. And we are members of the body. We are body parts. Whenever we start talking about uh, being members of the body of Christ, it's another time where it's easy for us to fall into the, uh, the trap of pride and ego. Because you start thinking about, well... What part of the body am I? Well, I'm the pastor, so I'm probably like, you know, the big biceps of the church, right? Maybe like the rock-solid abs that holds everything together. Uh, That's probably what you're thinking, right? Um, Maybe you have that same thoughts, too. Um, I think the church, as far as talents go, we're usually kind of divided in two different ways. You have the type of people that are on a stage uh, that get recognized for their talents, whether it's a preacher, a teacher, or a musician. Those types of positions, um, they're very easy to notice, and they also get lots of compliments from lots of people and lots of thanks for the work that they do. And along with that, I think you understand the trap that that could be, where you make the ministry about yourself and about my stage and what I'm doing right. There's a trap there. On the other side of things, there are many people in this church that don't have a stage. But they do many different things uh, that so many of us don't even realize, whether it has to do with cleaning or taking care of this place, signing checks, opening doors, whatever it is. So many people don't get recognized for their talents. And what's the temptation there? Well, I also think, man, when God was handing out all the talents, he, never, he didn't give me any of the cool ones. Everyone else got the cool talents. I didn't get any of the cool talents. Or you begin to think that, uh, man, my, my position is just not as good as everyone else's, and it won't even matter if I disappeared. Both sides of that, um, it's ego. It's pride if you think that way. If you don't think that you're important, that's, that's a trap of pride. And if you think that you're more important than you actually are, that's also pride. Uh, so we need to work together. It wouldn't work if you just had one person trying to do everything in the church. That would never work. So we need to work together. Um, you know, lots of, lots of times people talk about how important the pastor is. But I can't share... God's word with your coworker, but you can. I can't read a bedtime story, Bible story to your child before bed, but you can. God equips us with different roles in life, different talents, and wherever position you are in this life, whatever talents God has given you, use those talents to his glory because we accomplish so much more together. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
So to be the body of Christ, we need to let the message of Christ dwell in us. And whether that comes through uh, word, or like listening to a sermon, or through music, uh, we need to be filled up with that gospel message, knowing that each one of us is sinful, but that we're forgiven in Jesus' names. That's how we, that's how we act in the body of Christ. So if I can sum up everything that we've talked about so far, is what's the secret sauce to unity from this section? There's quite a big list. Well, we're told to be humble. We're told to put up with one another, bear with one another, forgive as God forgave you, put on love, remember that you're part of the body of Christ, and be filled with the gospel message. Quite a big list here. And if I could boil it down to just one thing, I would say, be like Jesus. Because you're talking about compassion and forgiveness and humility, um, well, I'm telling you to be like Jesus. You might think to yourself, that's the big point today in the sermon because that's not that deep because of course yes I would love to be like Jesus but I also know that that's impossible because you know that ego that lives inside of you that ego that wants you to get recognition for every type of service that you've ever done that ego that makes you think that you are the most important person in this church and that your ideas are better than everyone else's ideas you know that ego that lives inside of you and that sinful heart that you have So how could we ever be like Jesus? How could we ever live this way in the church? Well, I'd like to talk to you about one leadership concept out there. It's called servant leadership. And I don't think this term was coined by a Christian, but it's a uniquely Christian idea. The thought behind it is if you're in any type of leadership position, instead of thinking yourself as a big, powerful leader, your first goal should be, how can I serve others in that position? I'll give you one example of this. Um, It happened at the store called Home Depot. I'm sure you're aware of it. In the late 90s, Home Depot was having some big problems at the management level, and they were losing a lot of money. So they decided to hire a new CEO named Frank Blake. And Frank Blake, as a CEO, there came some perks. He had a nice office on the 22nd floor. He got a nice company car. He he was expected to wear some nice suits. But instead of spending all of his time in his big fancy office in the big CEO building, Frank Blake came down and put on the orange apron and started to visit other Home Depot stores. And he would do some of the lowest tasks. He would sweep floors, he would deal with customers and help other managements or managers at their location. And the other employees were just so impressed that, man, the CEO is right there next to us, sweeping floors with us. And that really helped build up uh, their organization. But if anyone could embody servant leadership, don't you think it would have been Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ didn't leave his 22nd floor nice office He left heaven to come to this world. And he didn't put on an orange apron. Instead, he took on flesh and blood. And Jesus used his body to help other people. He healed sick people that no one else would talk to. He sat down and he ate and drank with the low-life scum of society. He used his body to serve other people. And he, he even washed his disciples' feet. One of the lowest texts there is. But not only did our Lord and Savior wash feet, he also had nails put in his feet. Our Savior used his hands to help others, but he also had nails put through his hands. The true embodiment of humility and servant leadership. Jesus did all of this 
so that you could have life eternal. Jesus gave us that ultimate example of humility by dying on the cross so that one day we could be completely united with God and we could sing in unison with all other people in heaven. We could sing God's praises for eternity. That's what Jesus did for us. So what's the secret sauce for unity? I'd love to tell you to be like Jesus. But I also know that in this sinful world, there are going to be some problems. So we need to look at Jesus. We need to see and look what he did for us. Knowing that he's the one that died for us and forgives all of our sins completely, that leads us to pursue uh, relationships the way that he did. Knowing that we are completely united with God in our vertical relationship with God and that all of our sins are taken care of, that will lead us to pursue good horizontal relationships with the people that we work with in this church. So I encourage you to be like Jesus. I I encourage you to be humble, consider other people, be respectful, be gentle, be filled with that gospel message uh, because we know what Jesus has done for us. So what would happen if we operated as a church like that? What would happen if each person in this room lived their lives out of humility similar to that of Jesus Christ? What do you think would happen? What do you think would happen next time we have a big decision to make about what to go in the direction of this church if everyone was completely humble and gentle towards one another? And I know at times this will fall apart because of that ego we have inside of us, but we need to know that we are united. We are united because we believe the same message, the message that each one of us is deeply sinful, but that we're also forgiven in Jesus' name. And that's the secret sauce to church unity. We do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing the Te Deum. <laughs>